welcome to our trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And on our trilogies, we take a trio of films, whether tied by cast and crew, thematic elements, or even just numerical order. We go through each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. Again, <laughs> this is just the new trend. And today on it's our like trilogies... It's like a trigger for you now. I think, I think it's I, a psychological association. It's so fucked up because I think that's true. Yeah. I think it's just like my body realizes if you're doing this right now, it's been a day. <laughs> it doesn't matter what means, kind of day it is. Well, it's because, yeah, you, you have it down recited so your brain is like let's go autopilot now as soon as you start the intro <laughs> it's like when you don't realize how many times you breathe in like a sentence yeah like once you realize that like if you watch people and you watch how many times they breathe it's like you can't stop looking at that until you mm-hmm. read just gonna like relearn not to do that yeah but yeah today on our trilogies we are not going to be doing a love trilogy we are instead love is over oh love is love is done now yeah no more it's, love the day is gone and went away it's yeah. no no worries today we're doing something a little bit different we this is our second version of this we did this yeah. back last year for francis mcdormand and the cohen brothers mm-hmm. and now we're going to do this with shane black in the subgenre buddy cop films which mm-hmm. is the shane black buddy cop sampler that's what we're calling this yeah um kind of you know just the general idea of the sampler being like you know we really like a particular filmmaker or a particular collaboration of artists yeah and their contributions to a certain you know genre or film in general or whatever and kind of picking three major ones that kind of exemplify that dynamic Mm -hmm. and so yeah yeah it's like you ever go to a restaurant and they have a trio sampler option (laughs) right like if you want land air and sea yes it's like i want i want this appetizer but i also want this one and then the and then the restaurant goes i doesn't matter just get the trio then yes but with this and shane black is you know just a i mean he's one of the first names most movie lovers would probably think of when they think buddy cop oh absolutely Um, he's kind of redefine the genre a couple times um and yeah just got a real singular tone so it was kind of something we wanted to explore and celebrate it's also fascinating because in this trio we are covering 1987's lethal weapon 2005's kiss kiss bang bang and 2016's the nice guys which is fitting because 1987's lethal weapon is his first credited screenplay Mm mm-hmm uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is his first directorial debut, yep. as well as it feels like, as a film, a comment on the popularity surrounding the buddy cop genre that kind of boomed in the 90s. Right, right. And then The Nice Guys is the last buddy cop film he's done. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like getting and a little also, taste of yeah. you know the beginning, middle, and not end, but current yeah, kind, kind of, of culmination of what yeah. he's his career up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that. And <clears throat> at a similar point, too, uh, I mean, with these films, there are similarities that even though they're not technically a trilogy on themselves, it is hard not to watch Lethal Weapon. And then you get to Nice Guys and you see, huh. <laughs> so many. So like, many similarities yeah. all the way through this three. But I will say, before we get into this, I... It would be foolish if we not bring up that while these films are fun and bombastic and have great cast, these are films that talk about, you know, drug addiction, suicide, attempted suicide, sexual assault, and we'll yeah. have to talk about those conversations while talking about these films, especially Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because it's the darkest of the three, yeah, and it's more noiry than the other two, 
Yeah, but sure. just wanted to let everyone know that while these films are a lot of fun and are definitely, I'd say all three of them are worth checking out, they do cover heavy topics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Shane Black's screenplay is not exactly for the faint of heart. No, yeah. So and if you most of his characters are like terrible people. So <laughs> so yeah, if you if you only know Shane Black because he wrote Last Action Hero, I'm just gonna let you know right now that's kind of an outlier in his yeah that's in his, his filmography. That and Iron Man Three are about his most like wide yeah. appeal um and then his other one that we shall not name until maybe we talk about it in a future trilogy his most recent ah, directorial yes. debut or directorial film but yeah anyway lethal weapon is directed by richard donner mm-hmm. uh, in case you don't know out there what lethal weapon is it is a buddy cop film starring danny glover and never been controversial in his entire life <laughs> mel gibson where they basically are two cops that just don't see eye to eye with one another who take on a case that's bigger than they could have ever imagined. Yeah. And let me tell you, that's pretty much a good description of all three of these films, just on a base level. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of not, you know, a requirement, but a commonality of the yes, genre. Yes, absolutely. Just kind of the two contrasting, the odd couple, if you will, yeah. of, of whether they be cops or investigators or vigilantes or whatever, taking on bad odds. Yeah, of, yeah, and it's also fascinating too because the buddy cop subgenre has never really died. Yeah, like it still kind of goes here and there, and sometimes it can get mixed in with like a road trip type movie. Right. right. So you I know. think I I was kind of looking into like the etymology and you know history of the terms and I you know I guess you would call buddy cop a subgenre of the buddy film, and a yes. buddy film could be a comedy, an action movie, a adventure movie you know it could be all yeah. these different no, yeah. kinds of things buddy cop i guess has the crime kind of noirish bent yes uh, but even within the buddy cop you can have serious ones you can have absurd ones mm-hmm. i mean generally there's a comedy element to them but yeah. yeah and we'll be we'll kind of be talking about all three of these kind of intertwined because yeah. again there's very much similarities between all three of these but also in terms of talking about lethal weapon just as the first in these three for a lot of you, you know what Lethal Weapon is. <laughs> Lethal Weapon, yeah, as a classic, it. To be honest, if you're listening to this and you genuinely don't know what a buddy cop subgenre or a film is, this is where you should start. Yeah, because it's this certainly is, kind of the prototype for the modern yes, buddy cop movie. Because there were buddy cop films before this. I mean, yeah. in the early '80s, an, a big example of that is Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte in 48 right. Hours, right? Which is pretty much. In the same vein, that was directed by Walter Hill, known for the Warriors. And while that is not considered to be the the start of you know how we think of modern buddy comedies or how they've evolved into modern buddy comedy films, it is, in fact, if anything, just you know a prototype for what ultimately will be perfected by the late '80s, early '90s, right? And ultimately, will dominate a decent chunk of the '90s. Well, critically, yeah. not doing here and there. It's still <laughs> Shane Black has plenty of films in the 90s between Lethal Weapon and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that have his name on it that pretty much scream, oh, I know what they're doing here. It's kind of Lethal Weapon-esque. Right. And hilariously enough, this is the only one out of the three of these to be fully like it's two cops yeah, literally, who don't see eye to eye. Yeah, literally, yeah, buddy yeah, cops. Because yeah. in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's uh, 
It's a, a thief. private eye and a thief. Yes. Yeah. Uh, played by an actor that no one's ever wanted to see in any other films, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, playing the thief and Val Kilmer playing one of my favorite characters of all time, Gay Perry. Gay Perry. Love Gay Perry so much. And then in Nice Guys, it is two private eyes kind yeah. of on different a, subsections. A private eye and a like professional muscle, like tough yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Professional tough guy. Professional gruff. Yeah. Or at least he looks gruffy. Russell, yeah. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Yeah. And so, with Lethal Weapon, it's clear in this first film, like, this is the first time you had ever seen it. So, I guess, in terms yeah. of talking about it, I'd, I'm interested to see, hear what you thought, since you've seen yeah. a bunch of buddy cop films, but you haven't seen this one. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I mean I'll start by saying that, like, I saw The Nice Guys when it came out, and I fucking love that movie. And oh, I I'll, love the movie, I'll too. gush over it the whole episode. It's one of my favorite movies, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um so and and you know I'd seen The Long Kiss Goodnight and Iron Man three obviously and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, but yeah I had never gone back to Shane Black's roots to watch this. Yeah, um, and so I you know I felt like I had a good sense of what I was getting into, but it was kind of amazing seeing how how much Lethal Weapon is like in explicit pieces in all of his other movies oh yeah um just you know uh, from like the self the self references without it's never like you know masturbatory on his part but like a lot of his other movies especially nice guys just tons of like oh yeah i i made this movie a long time ago and i'm gonna keep referencing it yeah um but Uh, yeah honestly the thing that shocked me though about um lethal weapon is how like uh dark it is i mean i agree with you kiss kiss bang bang like subject matter wise is the darkest but this one is like tonally the darkest like you know our first our first couple scenes with mel gibson has him contemplating suicide oh yeah like and he he has a gun in his mouth yeah he puts (laughs) the gun in his mouth in tears as fucking looney tunes or whatever or bugs money plays in the background the funny thing too again with having discussion about lethal weapon especially considering it's a franchise that not only has four films but also has a television series that ran for three (laughs) years is the fact that like you know and it's also the fact that you know when it comes to our friend group or a bunch of other people if you're big into comedy Lethal Weapon, people will make jokes that Lethal Weapon has six films because Always Sunny dedicates two episodes (laughs) making two fan sequels that are horrible and hilarious at the same time. But ultimately, when it comes to most people who talk about Lethal Weapon, at least with me, it it always seemed like most people knew that it would get silly going on, so I never really think about how if I'm watching the first one with somebody, I have to at one point be like, by the way... Um, the sequels are never this like dark. Right. There are dark moments in. I think it basically is. It goes into sending them out of darkness with each new <laughs> sequel, where it's like two has dark moments. Yeah. Three has moments where it just will shock you, and I don't think it's inherently. I think there's one moment in three that I've always kind of had, not necessarily issue with, but is like it's kind of a, a weird spot where that shows up in that third yeah, film, yeah. and then four is a fucking film where Mel Gibson and Danny Glover take on Jet Li. 
Okay. With like yeah. with like Chris Rock as one of the side characters. Yeah. Like it's at that I mean, point it's, it's kinda like um like Rocky's kinda like that too. Yes. Like the first yes. film is the most serious, grounded, mm-hmm. you know, rags to reach story, and then the rest of them are like cartoons about boxing. Yeah. Um, so like when we were watching this together as well as with our friend Austin and realizing, oh shit. With Gibson, like just seeing Gibson put the gun in his mouth, I realized, oh, maybe they don't necessarily know that it gets sillier. Yeah. And then I, I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> that I told you both. By the way, Joe Pesci's in the sequel. I, I hope that kind of gives <laughs> a good litmus test in terms of where this goes tonally. Well, and that's not to say that this movie, the first film, isn't also like goofy and silly and oh, over yeah. the top. It absolutely is. It's just a like kind of jarring mix of tones that I really enjoy. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson's character, is a man who lost his wife due to a car accident a few years prior to the film where it takes place. And he is also, while he is deeply depressed and dealing with a lot traumatically, he is also a big fan of the Three Stooges and absolutely batshit insane (laughs) to the point where he makes... He does at least two or three scenes where he does three Stooges bits to cro- to uh, cronies. Yeah, yeah. The first, the, his introduction is him buying coke <laughs> off of a bunch of dealers, and ultimately, like they ask him if he's crazy, and then he does a three Stooges bit in their faces and pulls a gun on them. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is our introduction to this man. Yeah, and yeah, it it, it balances that toes that line well with comedy and the the dra- dramatic elements and. I think it also does that incredibly well with the fact that, like, not both characters are like that. The fact that Danny Glover's whole thing is that he's just a family man who turned 50. Yeah, he's just, just doesn't want to die. over the hill and <laughs> yeah. is ready to be done. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, the the birthplace of the I'm too old for this shit. Um, yeah, he he ends on that's that his whole char- That's his whole character. <laughs> I mean, he says it, what? Four times in the movie? He says it four times. Three, I think. Four. It don't He says a lot more in the sequels. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. Danny, I mean, Danny Glover's first scene, if, Mar- if if Mel Gibson's first scene is him buying coke off of dealers as yeah. a narco, as a narc, uh, Danny Glover's first scene is him in a bathtub, scared shitless that his kids say happy birthday to him while he's taking a bath. Yeah. Because he just turned 50 with a big old beard. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like his daughter, his oldest daughter, comes down in what looks like a skimpy dress for New Year's, and mm. you just see this look on his face, like, "Oh my God!" Right. And it's like this is, this is the balance you need, especially when you have two actors that just absolutely have immense chemistry with one another. Which is why I think all three of these films are like thrive in in my head. Yeah, is the duo, <clears throat> but all three films have incredible duos and in, in just different ways that they stand out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, the kind of fascinating thing about Lethal Weapon is how, um, I think in contrast to the other two films of this trilogy, it's like, these two have like the most reason to not work as a pair. Yeah. But they're, they're forced to, I mean, they, these, they're literally assigned to each other as partners. They have no way out of it. Mm -hmm. Riggs is like a borderline sociopath. Um, and Murtaugh is like you said, a family man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like He's, he just wants to have a normal day. Yeah, that's all he wants. Reality, like reality, says that uh, Riggs would probably get Murtaugh killed very quickly. Oh, absolutely. Um, he said actually, I believe says that more times than I'm too old for this shit in the first <laughs> you're gonna film. Get me killed. You're gonna get me killed, Riggs. Yeah. Which again, 
one of my favorite sounds of all time, and it's something that our friend Adam has constantly yelled at me just to get me to laugh. Is just Riggs. <laughs> just having Danny Glover yell <laughs> Gibson's character's last name just and but yeah, yeah I mean it, yeah because like it is also fascinatingly enough the fact that even though this is like the the one that popularizes buddy cop you know the Blake cop subgenre in the 90s and to the point where like the 2000s have no idea to kind of how to capture that again for the longest time right. um, it is funny to think that this is of these three films, this is the duo that isn't trying to teach each other how to do their jobs. Like, they're genuinely right. both just two cops that are just like, listen, like, I'll trust your instincts, you trust mine, but, like, I'm not here to babysit you. And it's like, good, because I don't need to be babysat is, like, their whole thing. Well, as right. in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's basically a private eye teaching a thief how to be a private eye. And the Nice Guys, it's basically... The muscle and the private eye kind of telling each other how. Yeah. Well, know, and it's basically. They're kind of method. Yeah. I mean, and two, also, it is kind of like it's Russell Crowe's character basically like showing Ryan Gosling, here's what a competent person does in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Holland is completely competent. He's incredible, but he's not competent. Uh, God bless that man. But um, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you got the, the great Richard Donner directing this film. Uh, um, hot off the heels, I think at this point he had just done. Was it, it was, was it Goonies? Yeah, Goonies. I think was maybe the last yeah, thing he did. Because I looked this. up his filmography a bit more because he's someone that we've. I don't know if we talked about much on here, but his first his first big film, if anything, I think it actually might be his first film is The Omen. Yeah, because he's a big television director and mm-hmm. TV movie director. Then he does. Then he does Superman after that. And then he's hired to do Superman 2, but then is fired off of <laughs> Superman 2. Yeah. And then later on, we get the Richard Donner cut, which is now, if you look up the film, it's kind of what shows up. Mm-hmm. And then there isn't anything for a little bit. And then he does, I think he does something in between Superman 2 and he does Lady Hawk. Yeah, oh, uh, Lady one. Hawk is what he does right before the Goonies. Okay. Or which right is, after the Goonies, right before Lethal Weapon. Which is a fantasy film, I think. Yeah, I had not heard of it until looking I only, him up. I genuinely um, only know about it because of Ready Player One. That oh. was that was a like it's one of those it's, it's like was, a reference in there. Yeah, like the main character uh, is kind of like smitten by the the lead love interest because her favorite film is Lady Hawk, and it's ah. his too. And I, I think Rutger Hauer might be in it. Yeah, it's uh, Matthew Broderick, Rutger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer. That is that is a cast that I just need to see play yeah, off each I'm other. Curious Especially about in the early eighties. Yeah, and most fantasy. Yeah. Also, there's Legend and there's that. That was kind of that yeah. era. But yeah, he does Lady Hawk, which I think does fine. Mm, it did not make its budget back. Okay, so it flopped. That doesn't because <laughs> we were both trying to figure out what this film is. I guess that's no surprise. Yeah. But then he does Goonies. Yeah. Then it makes a a, a goonjillion amount of dollars. It makes <laughs> it's one it's an eighties classic for a reason, and then yeah. ultimately leads to Lethal Weapon, which also has another big player. I think in these three films that. I ha- I kind of looked up a little bit more of, but it's uh, producer Joel Silver. Joel Silver, yeah. Because I think this is also one of the first big films that Shane Black worked with. I think, mm-hmm. if anything, Joel might have worked on Predator before this. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's right. how Shane, how, how they must have met. Uh, then from this point forward, Joel Silver, and I believe his production company for both Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys, mm-hmm. helped produce Black's two not first two directorial debuts but his directorial debut and the nice guys right 
because he does Iron Man 3 between Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Nice Guys. Yeah. But um a film that's also not controversial. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But like I mean it's it's kind of wild to think uh just how I mean, I, I think Lethal Weapon in some ways feels rough around the edges, but um, yeah. like in terms of story and character, but it, it is kind of crazy how well-formed it seems as like kind of this unique convergence of genre and style, considering mm-hmm. um, uh, Shane Black was like, he might have still been in college or just graduated when he wrote the screenplay. Really? Yeah, and it was that was like two years before the movie came out. Oh, when he wrote the screenplay because that would yeah. I mean, he was um, he was young when they did Predator because he's yeah, I believe Specs right, is his right, character in yeah. Predator, which I believe a lot of people or a lot of Predator fans. I don't know how many Predator fans are out there at the moment, but I think a lot of people believe that there was probably some help on the script by Black in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Maybe with his character at least, yeah, or even I, just like doctoring dialogue like on the day on maybe, the scene kind of yeah. thing. Because again, like I mean. That's a film where it's like that film seems should be a slam dunk hit until you you think about the fact that like it was supposed to be Jean Claude Van Damme and what the uh, alien looked like before. Yeah, they decided to do what they did. <laughs> <laughs> that because I yeah because I think Predator is one of those Jaws situations where like people are like this could be a fucking disaster. Right, and they were just so creative on the on the time. And figuring out how to cut around certain issues and whatnot. Yeah. And redo certain things and really play with the Schwarzenegger kind of cliche while also subverting <laughs> it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but that's Predator. We'll talk about that in the future. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. But, yeah, with Lethal Weapon, it is... Well, and I, it, have, I have to wonder if the... I mean, I'm not wondering. I'm sure that a lot of the, like polish on a technical level and the spectacle of it is donner like donner oh yeah uh, at that point it. two supermans and a goonies under his belt and a fantasy film like he knows what he's doing <laughs> i love how he said lady hawk's name and you still just called it a fantasy film <laughs> and also just a sprinkle in a little omen on top is yes, like his directorial uh, yeah. debut like man's yeah. been around oh yeah and also donner i mean he's dead now you know rest in peace but he was the director for all four of the films. Right, even and, after Black stopped writing. Yeah, which uh, is after this one. Yeah. Because after this one, I believe he I does... I thought he wrote two. I think he does a story for two. Oh, okay. I think it's story and characters for two, and then three and four, he gets a character credit. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the story is Black in Lethal Weapon 2, which is fascinating because the story is, I would say, in terms of trying to elevate the narrative, it is it is an interesting choice where that film goes. <laughs> But yeah, Donner as a director, it is clear that like watching watching Lethal Weapon, it's just like man, this Donner fucking knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and you have two actors who are just like in the pocket in terms of like you know one's up and coming to a degree. Like I think Gibson at this point is like this. I think this is the film that makes him popular, but at this point, Mad Max had already kind of. Oh, built right. his credibility yeah. a bit, and then Danny Glover is Danny Glover. How do you not love <laughs> him? I mean, even when he shows up in something like Ants, it's just like, I'm just glad Danny Glover's here. True. Like, also Prince of Egypt. I forget that he's also in that, but it's also good to see him in just anything. Yeah. And honestly, I think Murtaugh, Roger Murtaugh, and no, it's, is it Roger Murtaugh and Martin Riggs? Yeah, Yeah, because Riggs calls him Raj. (laughs) It's Raj and Riggs. Raj and Riggs. But I think Murtaugh might be my favorite Danny Glover character because I think his... 
he is even if it ever felt like Glover was sick of the Murtaugh character, he doesn't he doesn't show it. He does yeah. such a great job of holding that together and Well, I'm sure it's a fairly easy um, you know, character type to lean into even if you are tired of it. Oh yeah. Murtaugh's tired of it. Like <laughs> Oh yeah. He's overdoing it. But there's something else I think in Lethal Weapon I don't know is probably a thing in forty eight hours because it's Walter Hill was very low budget, very grungy, very uh-huh. realistic. But Lethal Weapon, I think, is one of the first trendsetters in the buddy cop genre to do the popular professional hitman like side character in Gary Busey. Oh yeah. Because pretty much after this, if you have a side character that is like the henchman that is doing most of the dirty work, I think they pretty much you pick somebody who is like either up and coming or just has like yeah. a very particular look about him yeah because you you i mean it was funny because I, I made a joke when we watched it like oh yeah the main henchman you'll know who it is as soon as you see it and you're <laughs> like okay and then immediately as you saw Busey, oh you went oh shit <laughs> it was like yeah, it's gary Busey, and he's burning his arm on a flame to show you how serious and dedicated he is to his boss yeah and he's like i mean he's full nutso in this movie like yeah, his character is an absolute maniac and that is him pretending to be that crazy at that point is yeah i think of that i regard. don't think he was known yet for being a no a wacko no no um no. i think that came I, on i think later. it's before before the accidents i think <laughs> yeah. so and yeah, i mean he kills it as yeah, again it's, it's a film where it's like i can see the main villain per se in my head i know what he does and i think i know what his name is but when I think of villains in the Lethal Weapon film, I usually think of the side characters. Oh, yeah. Because usually the side characters are the ones that are just like, they pop out the most. And it's also like, they're the ones you want to see get shot <laughs> or beat up the most. <laughs> right. You want them to get the kick shit, like the shit kicked out of them. And well, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang doesn't really have that because I think it's low budget. It does And it's also a film that's kind of subverting the expectation of what you're looking for a mm-hmm. film like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nice Guys does have that. Right. The Nice Guys has a surprise that I even forgot on this rewatch that I didn't realize <laughs> that he was in it the until John the boy. good old John Boy played by uh, – hey, you know what? Unless you want to spoil it, I want to keep it a surprise. I like, yeah, I, li- yeah. I like how when John Boy shows up, it is – as that character in The Nice Guys, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's also the fact that, like, we'll get into it more when we talk just solely on Nice Guys, but it's like that script is so tight you just realize that the the foreshadowing of the main henchman villain is a random the Waltons ad on the fucking television or talking about on the radio. Yeah. There's at least three or four instances of talking about the Waltons because it's the late 70s that ultimately leads to the main henchman having the name of, like, I believe the head's, like, the oldest son. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, like, that's just good. Right. That's a man that has been doing this for over two decades, I think, (laughs) by that point. Or almost two decades at that point. Yeah. But, yeah, Lethal Weapon is a classic. I honestly, not only do I recommend this one, I also recommend all the sequels. All of them. Of all, yeah, of all the franchises, of all the films that I really enjoy where it's like they have multiple films attached to them, Lethal Weapon, in my mind, is like, as soon as we watched the first one, I was like, fuck it, I just want to show you guys two, but, like, it's not a part of the sequel. It's not a part of this trilogy we have talked about maybe talking about the lethal weapon Mm -hmm. sequels in the future because to be honest when it comes to talking about lethal weapon out of these three films it's cut and dry 
it's the popular buddy cop film that when you think of a buddy cop film, nine times out of ten people think of this film. Yeah, I mean, everything you say that. about this movie is going to be things that like people say about yeah. every buddy cop movie because yeah. this movie did it. <laughs> yeah, the director is great. The leads are great. The villains are great. The story is the right amount of mystery and has a lot of and right amount of emotional like yeah. stakes to it. The action is also like, I mean, for how kind of. I don't know if grungy is the right word, but like the the film feels kind of rough, but the not in a not in a, like a poorly made way, but in just no. like a very grounded way. The action is like pretty polished and impressive. Yes. Like there's that helicopter chase sequence that's kind there, of insane. I cannot believe how um, close that helicopter gets every time it shows up in the film. There's a few action scenes where I'm like somebody was put in a compromising position to make this scene <laughs> happen. Um, it's so well done though yeah. yeah it's it's really well done it's got a really cool if completely absurd nonsensical final fight yes uh, yes taking place in somebody's front lawn and i would even <laughs> say yeah i would i would even argue that like it's not the weakest of the final fights by any means but i would say like in lethal weapon and lethal weapon in yeah. general but like in terms of the ends of the other one it is it is the rawest it is yeah. the dirtiest yeah because like two because like two guys tumbling in the mud yeah because two three and four four i think is the one that is probably the weakest out of them because when i think of the ending that that one's that one's a little wild how it gets to like oh this is how we're gonna get to the final fight okay well as two two literally ends on just such an iconic line that family guy has has made fun of it like uh, and then three has some great moments that it's like, oh, wow, this series is in its third film and it's still throwing out some good little bits like this. Right. So, yeah, one, I would say, yeah, one's not my favorite ending of the four films. I, I mean, but it's still, uh, it is nonsensical, but in, in such a delightful way where it's just <laughs> yeah. literally a bunch of cops letting one cop beat up a perp. Yeah. And then They're ultimately, all just standing there watching it. And yeah. yeah, and it's just like they have a spotlight from a helicopter giving it the light. <laughs> it's so dramatic. It's so good. And again, yeah, yeah, it's it works because Richard Donner is great. Mel Gibson Game Glover is great. Shane Black as a writer is great. And ultimately you get I mean, the fucking score too. The fact that Martin Riggs' motif is guitars while right. Murtaugh's riff is saxophone. saxophone. So when they're together, then, yeah. they're combined. Yeah, you get Such both. a simple thing that is just so delightful every time yeah. it pops up. But yeah, I mean, Lethal Weapon is great. I'd recommend all the films, the show. I don't know what no how that is. <laughs> Isn't one of the Wayans brothers in that? Yes, he is. Damon? He, Damon? I believe it's Damon. Yeah. He is Murtaugh. And he is ultimately the reason why the actor who plays Riggs uh, isn't in the third season, the third and final oh, season. We just didn't get along. They didn't get along. From okay. what I, for what I was for what I've read, because I was curious, because I was trying to remember what happened. Like, because some people were asking, like, yeah, didn't some crazy thing happen? Ultimately, it seemed like the two leads, Wayans and I believe Crawford, is who played Riggs. Um, they just didn't get along, and okay. Wayans has seniority. Yeah, so. Of course. So, you know, they basically, um, in that in that show, uh, they do something with Riggs that I remember fans of the movies, even though they didn't watch the show, didn't really understand or like. So they kill him? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think he gets shot, <laughs> and then I think in the next season they just say, yeah, he's dead. Like, I think they end season two on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And then I think ultimately... He's uh, just it, gone. Yeah. 
I'm so again, I, uh, yeah, I'm spoiling season two finale for you just because Sorry. I. Sorry, I'm fans. I'm tied to the films, and I recommend all the films, especially the first one. Yeah, and also with Lethal Weapon, it's the first time we see a Shane Black film where we realize, oh, if I flip a coin, maybe this will take place on Christmas. Oh man, because... it's probably better than coin odds. Just most <laughs> actually, of no, film, I think it's seventy-five percent at least involve Christmas. They might yes. not take place totally during Christmas, but they'll like mention it. or yeah. part of the film will mm-hmm. take place. It's it's nutty. It's great. I, um, I don't understand why, but I, I actually yeah, still don't he, really he know. Loves Christmas eh? and he loves uh, porn, or at least talking about <laughs> porn in his movies. <laughs> I was gonna say he loves L.A. That too. L.A. Yeah. is L.A. is a fascinating yeah, all three kind of character. Of these are yeah, L.A. Because I mean, at least with Lethal Weapon, L.A. is a fucking playground. Yeah. L- L.A. is a playground. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'd it's, say it is in all three of them. I would say Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's since kind of it's a hellhole. The closest to <laughs> yeah. In Kiss Kiss, it's a hellhole. In Kiss Kiss, it's like yeah. Why the fuck would you want to be here? This yeah. just seems like it's just soul sucking. Yeah. Well, as in Nice Guys, that is I think like almost a playset. Yeah. Well, it's Nice like, Guys, it's almost the the sheen of like the seventies, um, the smog, if you will. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's the whole time is, it basically feels like the film is looking at Hollywood as like past its prime. Not, yes. not in the modern sense, but in the sense of like, okay, the golden era, the fifties and sixties are over. It's seventies yeah. now. Yeah. We got pollution, all the, you know, protests and all these civil rights movements the film, have happened. Yeah. The film like, opens on the burnt Hollywood sign yeah. as it looks on the LA. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's, Shane Black is, I mean, such a fascinating director when it comes to L.A. in terms of just seeing how all three of these films handle L.A. differently mm-hmm. and just in the different eras. Well, it's, you know, Lethal Weapon is supposed to be a modern day, so late 80s L.A. Kiss Kiss is modern day, so it's like 2000s mm-hmm. L.A. And then you see the most romanticized, not to the point where uh, it's like once upon as, a time. Yeah, as romanticized as Shane Black gets. He's, yeah, he's a pretty unsentimental director. I will. I will say though, even though Lethal Weapon is the most popular of these three films, I would probably say The Nice Guys is the easiest one to watch. Oh yeah, to get people in the most accessible yeah. for sure. Because because I I do Le- think the... Lethal and Kiss Kiss both I think would turn some people off just with like the tonal range well, of I, don't know what you, I don't know what you mean no yeah i, I agree um, i agree it's and the subject matter and the, the i think the characters in the nice guys are some of his most likable characters yeah. oh yeah i think when i showed because i went through the whole lethal weapon films with adam about a friend adam about two three fuck maybe even four years ago but like we went through all four films mm-hmm. and i swear i remember him yelling jesus when mel gibson put the gun in his mouth oh it's and then very i was like oh jesus scene like yeah because it's early in the film and it's like i thought i was watching like a cop caper yeah and then suddenly this guy's in a trailer drunk tears in his eyes about to blow his brains out and one of the coolest things too is i think i don't you don't really see this that often in especially films like this when it comes to guns or even with bullets in general but there is kind of a Chekhov's bullet in the in yeah, Lethal Weapon right. that I feel like if you don't know what the film, if you've never seen Lethal Weapon, I don't think you'll expect where it goes. But in my opinion, it is so phenomenal how they bring the bullet back. Because ultimately, uh-huh. in the beginning of the film, you see there's a special bullet He's that Raven to use, yeah, on, on himself whenever he really has the courage to do like to kill himself, and then ultimately that bullet comes back, but not in the way that you think. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Shows how good of a writer Black is, because there's an easy way to do that, and then there's the interesting way, and that interesting way could not always work, but I 
I think it absolutely does. Does the bullet come back in other lethal weapon films? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Not to my memory. I think if anything, you might. Maybe someone picks it up and is like, why is this bullet here? And it's just, oh, good old days. And then Danny Glover looks yeah. into the camera and he makes goes, a gym face. And he goes, Riggs! Riggs! <laughs> Stay away from my daughter! Yeah. Which also, that's one thing that I was glad rewatching Lethal Weapon. I couldn't remember in terms of uh, R- Murtaugh's oldest daughter having the hots for Mel Gibson. I didn't remember if they played as if, like, he li- he liked it. Like if Riggs liked his daughter, like Murtaugh's daughter being into him. Yeah. But in the film, he, he honestly, it comes off as though he just he's just kind of like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Like she, he's not gonna. He's. Yeah, I feel like the daughter that actress is playing it kind of like she's infatuated with him. But, yes. But Mel Gibson's not really playing Riggs like he's reciprocating that. He's just kind of like, oh, I'm um. No, oh, yeah, he, I'm in. He's he's People just being, like me. He ends up being cheekier, I think, in certain scenes with her in it because he's just like, oh yeah, she just likes what I'm saying. Right. And then Murtaugh's death stares are the fucking best of yeah. those scenes. But they don't. They don't. Uh, do they go for a romance in no. the sequels? Okay, no, no, not not between them. I do think at one. I do think Riggs has made jokes, mm-hmm. makes jokes to fuck with Murtaugh about sure, that. Sure. Especially because again, the family that is in the first Lethal Weapon is in all three of the sequels, and the house too. Or they the, the house is yeah. the house is, and my god, that's Which, why the, with with what the house goes through in the first film, it's <laughs> amazing think... to hear that it lasts. Oh the my god, Andy, I again, this is why I want to do the sequel so bad. I can yeah. already see us watching two, and you being like, and they still stay in the same house. <laughs> it it's like me. it's like they do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Yeah. It's so funny, um, but. Yeah, Lethal Weapon is phenomenal. It's a yeah. great film. Definitely and it was recommend a, it. I mean, obviously, based on its influence, it was a smash hit at the time. Absolutely. Made I mean, made 120 million off a 15 million dollar budget. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, makes yeah, sense. I almost. mean, again, from 1987 to 1998, you at some point got a Lethal Weapon film in like a two three year span. Yeah. Like there is not to mention all the like copycats and riffs throughout the 90s oh and the like, other sh- uh, the other shane the black other shane joints black you know because after after lethal weapon one i think between one and two you get uh the last boy scout mm-hmm. starring damon wayans jr and uh bruce willis yep you also get you get last action hero last action hero which is a, a spoof on a fun little riff on action, action films yeah uh, that might be an interesting. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah, I love okay. that movie. All right, I, it's been a while since I've seen. It. I don't remember loving it when I first saw it, but it is it is it is a fun one. Yeah, it it is really fun. And I think it's like, it's a it's one of those. It's not above the things that it's like mocking. It's very much oh, no. falling into the same traps, but it's yeah, like yeah, in yeah. a really endearing way. Um, and then Long Kiss Goodnight's the late 90s, Gina yes. Davis and Samuel Jackson. Have you seen that one? I have not. Okay. We talked about it, I think, when we were watching Lethal Weapon. You had seen it. Yeah, I saw it a f- maybe two or three years ago, just randomly put it on one day because I like Chain Black. Um, and, it, you know, it was I enjoyed it kind of, but I wasn't super into it. But now I kind of want to give it another go with yeah. more undivided attention because mm-hmm. I've – I remember scenes from it really that I really liked, and I've seen clips kind of isolated that are like, man, that's that's kind of an awesome little scene. Um, yeah, and you, I, I hear other people talk about it really highly, so I kind of yeah, want to. Because you would again. think you would think like Shane Black, as a writer, having post Pulp Fiction, like you know, Samuel Jackson working on it. Yeah, you would think that would be like 
doesn't need to be a match made in heaven, but it's like, I really want to see what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the film, I think it does decently well, but it's not, like, huge. Yeah. Again, when it comes uh, to Black's works in the yeah, 90s. Didn't do that great. Did yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think nothing really hits the same notes that the first Lethal Weapon does. And while the sequels, his names are attached in terms of creating the characters and even the story for Lethal Weapon 2, ultimately those sequels kind of get popular on their own merits yeah and ultimately leave shane black at the 2000s kind of at a weird spot where i believe trying to do other things it ultimately kind of doesn't pan out here and there and leads us to in between i think lethal weapon 4 and kiss kiss bang bang there are no writing no directing whatsoever it isn't until kiss kiss bang bang that he gets a shot to make basically at the time, his response, whether it was meant to be or not, I, I think it's more of just him realizing that he can't just do Lethal Weapon again. Yeah, well, I think, and, I, I think the 90s, like, that whole run that he did and that all of Hollywood did in the genre, um, with two maybe kind of diminishing returns. Yes, uh, yeah. He, I would imagine, felt kind of like, well you know the barrels run dry or i've run dry they're not interested in me anymore and i he started writing again i think in the 2000s and like wanted to do something that was entirely out of his wheelhouse like uh-huh. like a rom-com or something oh, um he was basically like that. how do i get back into this yeah. i got to do something that's not me at all like i got to just totally change lanes and ultimately and he starts like kiss kiss bang bang was supposed to be like a rom-com just oh, like a girlfriend nice. like a dating movie that's um, awesome and then he was like <laughs> I, I think i read a quote where he was like and like as he was working on the script he was like damn it i gotta put a murder in here ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no dead women in this yeah <laughs> i gotta really change that because yeah ultimately kiss kiss bang bang ends up being a film that is shame black just acknowledging the fact that Shane Black Buddy Cop films exist and being like, that's okay. That doesn't mean that this is any less enjoyable. Yeah. And ultimately leads to his most, I would say, referential. It's not self-referential because it's not like he talks about himself. No. In the film or like talks about like a writer that is like an insert for him. It's ultimately a film that feels the most cynical about L.A., and ultimately feels like it's the most um, rigid when it talks about the structure of a buddy cop film and yeah. you know how, the inspirations for said buddy cop films, which are like pulp detective novels, right? Well, just film noir in general. It's also like explicitly meta. Like, yes, I mean, two, oh, yeah. two, two of these three movies have a voiceover, but this one is literally a voiceover in which Robert Downey Jr. is like, and I'm the main character, and this is the part where we do this, and I bet you think that you know where this story is going. I'm talking to the audience. Yeah, it's the kind of uh, record scratch freeze frame stuff, but Mm -hmm. pulled off better than that. Yeah, Um, and I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang's plot is, I would argue, it is the most complicated of these three, which (laughs) is ultimately the film is about a professional thief where a theft goes wrong, and while he's running from the cops, he ends up in an audition where he actually gets the part that he's he accidentally part auditioning he, for. He was reading for the part of a thief who let his partner die. Yeah, it's like a police which detective. Which is what just happened to him. It's a yes. great, like, it's such it's a so cheeky well done. setup. 
Yeah. And an, and an awesome scene. And the actor who's uh, playing like the head producer, uh, I can't remember <sighs> his full name. He's yeah. the, when I think of him, he's like the, he's the principal of Max Keeble's big move. He's a really funny actor. And I oh, haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. But um, he's great in this. And ultimately, Larry yeah. Larry Miller. Larry Miller. I was going to say, I thought it was Larry something. Yeah. But they basically fly the thief out. <laughs> they, fl- they fly Robert Downey Jr. out to L.A. where he is supposed to be basically screen testing as well as learning how to become a private eye through a mentor who is hired by the producers to kind of show him the ropes. Yeah, um, basically do like a ride along yeah. with a private um, eye. Who is uh, Gay Perry, played by Val Kilmer? Yes. And as of as a man who loves Val Kilmer and <laughs> knows what I'm saying is kind of is is a, could be a hot take because the man has a lot of phenomenal roles. This might be my favorite Val Kilmer, favorite role. Val Kilmer role. I think in this film it is pretty fucking clear that if anyone if, if there's anybody in this world that can do Shane Black dialogue perfectly, oh, he's, it is yeah. Val Kilmer. I still think about a lot of his lines from this film. Because, again, I will say out of these three films, the one that I love the most is The Nice Guys. I think The Nice Guys yeah, is perfect. Me too. And I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but it has issues. Yeah. But ultimately, with with the when I think of the lines that stick with me the most out of these three films, it is Kiss Kiss mainly because the shit that these characters are saying to one another is so fucking dark sometimes that it ultimately becomes funnier on top of the funny things they say yeah. with it. Well, I mean, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's like more vulgar, more cynical Aaron yes. Sorkin dialogue. To a degree, yeah. Like it's, it's, I can see that. It's, you're, all of these characters are incredibly witty. And that's yes. kind of typical yes. of Shane Black. But you've got Robert Downey Jr., one of the silverest tongues in hollywood yeah um and val kilmer who like you said is almost like it feels like he's a vessel designed specifically for delivering shane black dialogue like oh yeah i i'm with you i think nice guys is my favorite um i fucking love both russell crowe and ryan gosling in that movie they're also perfect they're incredible i think danny glover and um mel gibson are both awesome in lethal weapon but yeah there is something unique about val kilmer's performance in that it it feels like he's delivering it exactly how like shane black yeah wrote it i think the reason why i like gay perry the most of the do du- of all the duos in terms of like the character wise i think it's because russell crowe and ryan gosling are phenomenal but also and also mel gibson day glover are phenomenal in their roles but both those duos have a slant added to their Shane Black dialogue that gives them a little bit of a different, where it's like... Yeah. Well, and, and in well, The Nice Guys, a lot of yeah. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling scenes are like, um, I mean, this term's thrown around way too much, but like there was a lot of improv in yeah. that movie, of them, them kind of riffing on and, each other. And, and, it, and it feels like it, you can tell. Yeah. And it's markedly different in that way. This feels a lot more scripty, not in a bad way, but like... Okay, clearly that was like a line that was sorted yeah. out. Because like again, like uh, in Lethal Weapon, you have the kind of the normal grounded straight man in Murtaugh, and you have the the, the wild car, but you just can't help but love him in Riggs. Mm-hmm. In Nice Guys, you have the muscle that is the closest to the ground that <laughs> compared to Holland March yeah. by Ryan Gosling. Who's- and like an airhead. Yes, and like Russell Crowe is funny, but he still is supposed to be. Clearly, like I am, man. I am the straight man, and Ryan is the fucking goof. Yeah, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Well, it's very clear 
that Robert Downey Jr. is the silly one of the two. <coughs> Val Kilmer does not feel like he's going for a straight man more so that he feels like it is Shane Black unfiltered in every way. Yeah. Where it's like with the Lethal Weapon films, his his writing is filtered through Richard Donner, Blockbuster. It has to yeah. everyone's gotta enjoy this. It can't be too dark. It could be dark enough, but not too dark. And while the nice guys is like the en- energy of like that movie is getting made because Iron Man three did well, not because <laughs> he wrote Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And so like it's like you gotta make a film with a duo that is just like you know super likable, but even just even sillier than you could imagine. And mm-hmm. of course, you get that with Gosling, and then you have Crow just looking like John Goodman's just meaner old <laughs> like brother, and you have a kiss kiss bang bang. You have a, you have two characters who are the most grounded out of all three of these duos, and you have Gay Perry just like who's supposed to be the straight man putting out some absolutely fucking banging lines. Yeah, I still he's think like a roast machine. He, I still think he's of just like verbally ab- destroying people. His best, like his first good line, like his best line initially when you meet him is like, "So is is Gay Perry just like is it is it a name or is it like oh Gay Perry? No, I'm knee deep in pussy. I just can't get rid of it. Or he's like he's, he's I just like the name so yeah, much. Yes, I, I just can't it. get rid of it. Like <laughs> it's like he is saying shit where it's like you are supposed to be the one that just like gives him a shitty look and walk away. Yeah, but you are just yeah you're throwing. Like, again, and everything is straight yeah. faced. Like he's not uh-huh. ever being goofy. He's like, yeah, he's saying these ridiculous, hilarious things. And but I th- like totally straight. Yeah, and I think it works too because it's like it seems like Robert Downey Jr. is playing uh, his character as if he wants to be the straight man, but is just too stupid <laughs> to do it. <laughs> For sure, he yeah. can't do that. Which leads to again a great line. You know what we'd find if you look up "idiot" in the dictionary? Yeah, a picture of me. No, no. the definition of idiot, which you fucking are. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many great lines that are just... I love the... It's so unfiltered. I love the, uh, <laughs> the scene where um, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Harry. It's Harry and Perry. Um, yes, Harry and Perry. That's right. Yeah. I fucking love it. Harry's leaning against Perry's car, and he's, like, devastated <laughs> about what he just found out. And Perry's, like, pushing him <laughs> off of his car. He's like, they're there. It'll be okay. And he pushes him off the car. Yep. I have to I, go. I have to go. <laughs> I have to go. And he just keeps saying it in the same tone until he ultimately drives away. And again, too, what's fascinating about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is that this is two years before Iron Man. This is at a time. This is actually the film that got uh, Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. No shit. I think I heard that once. I think Jon Favreau saw this movie and was like, fucking sense. Because again, like this film just has the energy of. It also proved that Robert Downey Jr. was somebody who could be worked with. Yes, because that's fair. That's he fair. was going through a lot. his bad shit like all, uh-huh. all up until this movie. Yeah, Shaggy Dog is what you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. You're referring to Shaggy Dog, nothing else. <laughs> but no, yeah, this is hilarious to think that this is the film when this film comes out. Is like, I can't believe they think Robert Downey Jr. can be a lead. Yeah. It's if he hasn't been that before. Right. And it's like wild to think that two years later it just is like oh my god yeah and so it's kind of fascinating to watch this film watching a robert downey jr performance that is not baked in thinking that like oh this is just another tony stark impression which is not that he's he's always been like this right (laughs) yeah but there has been to be fair to people who feel that way is like there is ever since iron man with the exception of maybe what tropic thunder like everything he's done since Iron Man until Oppenheimer has kind of felt in that same vein oh, of Tony Stark. Do little that doesn't work. 
that's true. <laughs> but that was also fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see your face. Just wanted to see um, the disappointment that I reminded you of that yeah. film. <laughs> and Sherlock Holmes, of course, I guess you could say that uh, um, is different too. But that's yes, also still yes. he's the smartest guy in the room type yeah. of character. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as well as with Harry. He wants a, to be, he wants to be and he's trying to sell himself that he is the smartest or the yeah. toughest. And he is witty. Like, like Oh my god. He can he can throw it back to you and he can come I, up with all sorts of uh you know verbal gymnastics again, I also, situation. But it's I think also Harry is just in my mind like that is the perfect Shane Black protagonist. I just I love the scene where he sticks up for Michelle Monaghan, which and take a moment of silence for Michelle Monaghan in this fucking film because, gosh, she is she's gorgeous and phenomenal yeah. in this film and holds her own with fucking really Robert is. Downey Jr. and yeah. Val Kilmer and has very great lines as well. Feels perfect for like the quote unquote femme vitale kind of female right kind of pseudo protagonist like second protagonist. Yeah, I mean it. It is you know we're talking about these as buddy cop films, but this is the one where I think the buddy dynamic is the most kind of um, what's the word? Like there, there's competition with the buddy dynamic. Cause obviously Harry and Perry spend a lot of time together, but like the film is almost more about Harry and uh, harmony, harmony um, with Perry kind of being their secondary. Like it's like, yeah. he's the third wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh. I just realized we've been talking this whole time and I didn't finish my plot synopsis. That's how this film is. Oh, I thought you were about to say you hadn't been recording. No, that would be fucking funny. <laughs> my shit. heart went I would, into my stomach. I would have already known by this point, but that is funny <laughs> to know. But no, yeah, basically the big exciting incident is that while Harry is in L.A., yeah. he meets an old flame right. from Indiana, because they're both from Indiana. Oh, yeah, Indiana. Uh, named Harmony, who is you would think is her stage name, and it's not her stage name. Right. But a Harmony, played by Michelle Monaghan, who basically... He was his, like, childhood crush. Yes, and to try to impress her, says to her best friend or her friend next to her that he's a detective, a private eye, uh, just straight up lying to her friend. And then her friend tells Harmony that he's a private eye and and she comes to him saying, my sister was killed by by somebody. Can you help me find out who did this? And then arguably... (laughs) He tries to get out of it horribly, doesn't do it well, but ultimately, you know, says, yes, I will help you. And then both Harry and Gay Perry get pulled into this web of, you know, corruption, lies, uh, sex, blackmail, the whole nine yards. There's a lot of overlap between the kind of conspiracy of this and the conspiracy of the nice guys. Um, oh yeah, in terms yeah. of like entertainment industry corruption, that sort of this thing. This goes to the top. Yeah, yeah. Which it's, all, it's the producers. Yeah, which *Lethal Weapon* has evil. a little bit of that, but That's not true. to this yeah. degree. And yeah, *Kiss Kiss Bang Bang* is just—it's what you love from *Lethal Weapon*, but it's just more cynical, more grounded, and arguably. And even though I do understand where you're coming from, and I do admit there are parts of Lethal Weapon that are darker, but there's just some sad shit in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang <laughs> that is not even that I feel like there, is its yes. own breed. Objectively sad, yeah. yes. The film rarely stops to treat it as sad. No, um, but that's also why I think it's funny. No, I agree. <laughs> even, I 100 percent agree. Um, but it's like, yeah, that, like content-wise, this is absolutely the darkest and bleakest. 
of yeah. the three, uh, even if it's laughing through the pain for the yeah. entire film. Because, um, like, Harry meets Harmony at a basically kind of like a get-together party where a bunch of people who were involved in the project that he got casted for are all at this producer's house. He sees Harmony there, and when Harmony tells him the reason why he got there, it's because a an old actor in, like, a sci-fi TV show broke into her house, got <laughs> drunk, realized it wasn't his house, and got scared so bad by Harmony that he fell out of a window and paralyzed himself. Yeah. And then when she was talking on the news about how he broke into her house, she looked so hot and was an actor <laughs> and, and, like, and an actress that, yeah that larry miller producer basically was like put her on a put her at a party yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how they meet again yeah and then later in that party she falls asleep and is almost about to be sexually assaulted by a random guy right and robert downey jr tries to step in and be the white knight and then he gets his shit rocked <laughs> and that's the scene where it's just like this feels like what shane black wants all of his protagonists to go through <laughs> Yeah, just like this feeling of like I'm an I'm the protagonist. I'm and also a fuck up. Uh, like, yeah, I'm, until I realize it's real life. Yeah, and I can't. I don't know kung fu. <laughs> Help. <laughs> and it it just is Harry and Perry as a dynamic duo feels like if Shane could get away with just making this duo in different ways just for the rest of his life, he would do it a hundred percent. I mean, clearly it doesn't because once this film comes out, it doesn't do well, sadly, because mm. it's just a, it's a rated R dark comedy buddy cop film that was just like at the time it came out, it was just people were like, ah, no. Yeah. And it really like it makes this sense. This might as, be just proportionally like his least successful movie. I think so. It, yeah. It pretty much just made its budget back. I think that was it. The, I think the film that should not be named has made more money than this film has. Yeah, right. And which is, again, just fascinating to think that, where it's like, yeah. now what I hear about this film, when I think about this film, like when I tell people, it's like, this is like, I love this film. And it's just yeah, like, this is really fun this is where it's like, this is where if you, like, if your only thing is Shane Black is, oh, he did Iron Man 3, <laughs> I it's like, I'm going to show you probably Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Or if that's a little too much for you, I'll show you Lethal Weapon, and then we'll go into Kiss Kiss because it's like, you know, maybe that gives you a little bit more into the entry fee of Kiss Kiss that you know, like, right. oh, so this guy wrote kind of the same thing, mm -hmm. similar kind of beats. And ultimately, too, what's fascinating about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is that a lot of the times you there are there are threads that you think in a blockbuster film they would pull as a through line through the entire film that ultimately just become loose ends that are just like, no, this doesn't matter. Like a big thing about Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Harry getting casted in the film, halfway through the film, he is told by Gabe Harry, no, you were brought on this film so Colin Farrell could lower his price so he could do the film. <laughs> yeah. And it's fascinating to think that like, if this was God, more... that's not halfway, that's way later in the movie. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a like little... right before the ending. Yeah, and it's like, no, because right, it's... right it's... before the climax, I thought. No, it's uh, it's about it's about an hour in. Oh, is because, it? like, Because that's when he's supposed to go on the flight, and then there's the revelation about the credit card. Oh, okay. And then that's the second yeah. half of the film where it's like, guess what? Because the first half of the film was also funny because it's basically Gay Perry looking at Harry... And Harmony going, no, we're not doing a fucking buddy cop detective story. This is stupid. This is not real life. This is dumb. And then the other half is like, okay, fuck it. This is a little too close to a detective novel. I guess we're doing this. Yeah. 
And so it's fascinating, too, on that level where it's like it's a film that almost is trying not to do what the film is telling you on. Right. But it doesn't deter you from, you know, getting connected with the characters, enjoying what you're seeing, as well as just like the 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 gaffes, like the laughs per minute, I think, are even more in this than Lethal Weapon. And then it just goes into astronomical amounts and fucking nice guys. But <laughs> in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's just like anytime you think it's just going to not be funny it just is funny again and then it just keeps doing it and then it's like there are even bits that i forgot that just made me laugh out loud again being like jesus fucking christ like it just keeps going well and the, like the finger bit is a bit that like kind of uh, keeps on giving because yes there's the initial bit of what happens to harry's finger and then it more stuff happens to it and yeah it's just like a snowball effect and again there's something where it's like that's another shame black ism i guess to a degree where it's like you can see that he wants to do that in something like a lethal weapon but ultimately can't go that far because they don't want to they they may be a little too dark if someone loses an appendage in a blockbuster action film but like in kiss kiss bang bang which is more film noir-esque you can just beat the shit out of your characters yeah and just like it's again it feels like in in a way it's almost kind of in a cautionary tale situation where it's like Yes, you can you can believe that detective stories like this can happen in the real world, but if you really go in un like unprepared, you're gonna get your shit rocked. <laughs> and my God, this Robert Downey Jr.'s character gets the shit rocked, and arguably would have the best scream in a Shane Black film if it wasn't for Ryan Gosling, because <laughs> Ryan Gosling has 18 of those in Nice right, Guys. Yeah. But like, there's a scene where <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is getting tortured. And it's like, you kind of feel like you know how he's going to scream. And then he screams entirely differently. Like, as realistically, I think (laughs) I've ever seen someone get screamed by that type of kind of situation. Yeah. But, yeah, because you just have Harry going through. I think the weakest element of the film, I believe, is Harry's arc as a character. Yeah. There's a part in the film where Harry explains kind of what his his kind of um stagnant feature is as a person and it clearly is him telling the audience in a way that is not actually supposed to be a fourth wall break it just is that open about it (laughs) about like what his major flaw is yeah and then later in the film he basically says something along the lines of i'm not gonna do that major flaw anymore yeah and it's like i like that but I think there's a better way to handle that in a natural sense yeah, in the kind yeah. of the film. I, I think in general, the kind of the conclusion to the film is I enjoy it, but it's one of its weaker elements just because the way it kind of it ties up everything in a bow real nicely. And yeah, the rest of the film is not exactly it, it's a very messy film in a good way and yeah and it does not necessarily need wrapped up in a bow so i was a little like yeah, okay while it sounds silly to say i mean like life's messy and it feels like the film yeah. is constantly being like yeah in reality like the film's reflecting that the whole time and then yeah. the ending kind of reverses on that yeah the ending is kind of like it feels if if there it, was it feels some like there was a either studio interference or revisions yeah. to the script mm-hmm. yeah because i mean it which seems makes like a sense. common a common thread in Shane Black's filmography is uh, the first draft was way darker because like that, oh, that yeah. was lethal yeah. weapon. That yes. was, um, I think long kiss good or yeah. Long kiss. Good night. Cause that's a dark um, film too. And the nice guys I think was darker originally. Well, it's also, it was supposed to be, I think a television show. Well, yeah, I it, think got, it, was, it got morphed into that for yeah. a minute. And it then was they were ba- like, Nope. 
And I was like, we don't know how the fuck we're going to stretch this out for eight episodes. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Let's so, do it as a film. I would not be surprised if the ending of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang originally was like everybody fucking dies or something. Oh, yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise everybody me almost either. dies. Yeah. And I would also say, too, in terms of a film that is clearly the lowest budget of these three films, um, it doesn't really feel its budget. You don't really feel where it's at until you get to the finale. When you get to the finale, <laughs> yeah. it's it. I will say again, as a someone who loves this film, it is very creative with what it does to make a climactic fa- finale happen with such a small budget. Yeah, but still. But when you think about it, like there's not a lot of pieces moving. No, in, in no, this, no, 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 no. So it's climax. In, so ultimately, there's. I think that's a film where I think out of the three of these, I would say Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is the most interesting, but it's not the best because yeah. it's fascinating just to see how a man that basically wrote the biggest buddy cop film anyone mm-hmm. thinks about ultimately going back, looking at that and being just almost self-reflective and realizing how do you make that 15 years, 15 plus years later? Yeah. Uh, cause that, yeah, cause that would have been about 17 years later. I think they must've shot it in like 2004, but yeah. Well, and it's, it's also interesting cause it's, you know, like you said, it's this director kind of looking back at his, his previous work and kind of reflecting on that. It's interesting given his experience and reflection at that point that this is probably the most like juvenile of these three in terms of the, the sense of humor. And also I think the, the, oh, the cynicism yeah. of it too. Feels, we can talk about that. Yeah. It feels like something the, like the the cynicism of it feels like something a a much younger Shane Black would have written, um, so it is interesting that he came at it from an angle of like I'm gonna do something totally different, and then it yeah. kind of over time morphed back into more of a Shane Black type thing. Yeah, I will say that there's a specific comedy bit about gay Perry being gay that is. Oh like, well, yeah, there's that too. That yeah. is that is the one. Th- I thought that's what you were talking about. What were I you? just I just mean in general, like oh, okay. the general tone of the film and the yeah. the kind of, um, the the overall cynicism of Harry as a character. Um, yes, is feels less. It it's just interesting where it falls at this point in his career in Shane's Black's mm-hmm. career, where it's almost more of a character I would have expected from from early on in his work. Um, yeah, I think and that's if, not a criticism. No, of the film. no, no. It's just um, I would even argue that if it was earlier in his career, that Harry would be a much worse character because his white knight complex would have been would have been would have been genuine. Yeah. yeah. Well, this what it feels like the movie is making fun of the fact that like he is while yeah, he thinks he can be that. Yeah, because a big thing about the film is that he sees harmony as he sees harmony as you know a person. Of course, but like at a time, he feels like he is also talking down to her as like you are more than just, you know, a sex. Like you're more than just sexy. You're just like using your looks. For yeah, this he's and like, that. are you really the type of girl who would sleep e- around? Or yeah, whatever? and it's and it's <laughs> like, I think Robert Downey Jr. does a great job of making it very seem very earnest from Harry's perspective. Yeah, but it's like yeah. watching it now, it is clear that Shane Black is not saying you know, being a white knight's the thing to do. It's clearly that it's like. It is the thing that is holding him back from actually having a relationship with right. fucking Harmony, yeah. which is ultimately, I think, what leads to there's a bit of an ambiguity at the end of the film where it's like, oh, is could they be a thing? Will they be a thing? And yeah. maybe, uh, but ultimately, 
the way that the film ends, it ends on a way where it's like, huh? Do you want more of these? And most people went, nah. I didn't even know this came out. Right. No. And which is a bummer because this film rules and I love it. Yeah. And I would recommend it too, especially if you like Lethal Weapon and you like those types of films. But to be honest, though, if you can only watch one film of these of this nice little sampler now that we're done with our first two appetizers. Oh, wait. Let's... One last fun Ooh. fact. I want to quiz you, Logan. Oh, I don't my God. If you know this, maybe you do. Maybe. Um, if I were to tell you Lawrence Fishburne was in Kiss Kiss Bang he's Bang. He's the bear. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He's the I, CGI uh, beer commercial bear. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. I loved that. Um, there's also another, there's a cameo in The Nice Guys that I know you know about because you oh, love that movie. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I was randomly looking at just the IMDb about certain things and then I saw that. And then I heard and then I heard him and then I was like, Yeah, it's Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> That's funny as fuck. Lawrence Fishburne would be also great in a Shane Black film. Yeah. God, Shane Black and just name all these other fucking actors that right. can work with. And unfortunately there are times where he has had films where he has great casts and uh specifically the film we will not name. Um it just doesn't unfortunately pan out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in terms of all the appetizers here, if there's one you can only watch one of these films. We both are definitely going to recommend The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. The Nice Guys, in my mind, and I believe in Andy's mind too, is the culmination of decades of Shane Black <laughs> writing films like this and finally perfecting, I believe, the balance between dark, serious, goofy, fun, energetic. Yeah. Cynical and cynical. earnest. Like- yeah. Being in a way that is like it's it is a film where you'll have fun shootouts that are really well choreographed that are really energetic, mm-hmm. but are also shootouts where people bystanders will just get shot. Bystanders will die, and it'll feel like a sight gag. It, it, it is it is just it's shocking. <laughs> it is shocking. And it's, and it's not so addressed. well done. No, <laughs> it's not addressed. You just hope they're fine. Is yeah. all you can you can tell, but. Um. Yeah, the nice guys, as plot-wise, it is, yeah, muscle and a private eye basically trying to find uh, a missing woman who just so happens to be tied into the death of a a big a big death of a porn star named Misty Mountains. Yes. And um, it is... I'm just trying to... I think I just need to ask you how much do we want to talk about this in terms of spoiling or talking about plot details because this is... Um, this isn't... This isn't... Honestly, from this point forward, if you're listening to this podcast, if you are if you want to watch one of these films, go watch The Nice Guys, pause the podcast, go watch The Nice Guys, and then you need to come back. Yeah. Because this is... If there's We could honestly do... Like, we're over an hour now, but we could do, like, two hours <laughs> yeah. on this fucking film. It's, it is so It's such well a fun done. film. And, and yeah, um, I mean, it, speaking of the, the plot, I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, similar kind of in structure to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yes. Um, in that these kind of two um, odd players find themselves having a stake in this weird conspiracy that's going on in L.A., um, this one is much more centered around the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, it has to do with the, the porn industry and also the auto industry and, and fascinating um, combination, general, kind of general corporate corruption. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of about, uh, it's, it's also about, um, you know, healing yourself along the way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm saying also might sell this film a lot to a lot of the out there. If you're one of those people that didn't realize that Ryan Gosling was very funny until Barbie, 
like you saw him thought he was awesome as yeah. ken um he's even better in the oh, nice guys yeah. like it's incredible to be honest this it might sound petty but it just it just I, it, it just feels like it, it deserves that ryan gosling since he never got a nomination or win for Holland March, he never deserves. <laughs> he does every win that he gets from this point forward yeah. doesn't feel like it's. It's like the it's Barbie best, nom was a legacy nom yeah. for Holland yeah. March. Nice try. He's yeah. not as again. I'm sure Nice Guys had a major hand in him getting like in, in anybody even considering. <sighs> he's just. I mean, for Ken. he's I mean, funny. I'm sure Greta Gerwig fuck. has seen this movie. I would hope so. But it's also the fact that like him as a person just seems like in every interview he's very silly and funny. Oh, he's very funny. I yeah. mean, even in stuff where it has nothing to do with films. Like, remember, it was a, it was a very short lived meme for the longest time. But it was Ryan Gosling won't a eat a cereal meme for the longest time. Oh, for fuck's sakes! <laughs> yeah, it's it was a meme that yes, uh, the cereal, yes, the, the spoons. Cere- yes, thank yeah. you. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking of when I said that, but yes, yeah, it was a meme that it felt like it was only for a year or two. Like you know how some memes feel like yeah. Like I think I meant like memes that feel like they've been on around forever, but ultimately it was sure. a short period yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah. That's what my brain meant. Thanks, brain. <laughs> Took too long to realize that. But yeah, it's like Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal meme, and then that the man who created the meme passed away. Oh, I didn't and then, know. Yeah. That. Well, the reason why I know that is because Ryan Gosling made a video of him eating cereal. Uh, as as yeah as an homage as an homage to that man wow and it's like that's the kind of fucking guy this man is <laughs> and it's also like in little roles too where it's like or in films you wouldn't expect him to be like just absolutely funny he got like crazy stupid love as a role like that where it's like with, yeah with steve carell that's true emma stone who we could fucking make i think a trilogy of films that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think yeah i think there is a trio of films that emma stone and ryan gosling have been in together yeah and that's one of them. And that's a film where he is a buff dude who is, you know, he's like a hundred percent fuckable is his whole kind of vibe. But yeah. he is just fucking hilarious. He's, hilari- he's the hilarious cool guy. In that. Standing next to funny man Steve Carell. He is, right. I would argue, the funniest part of that film. Yeah. And just Gosling, Gosling as a person just feels like he is, he feels more comfortable with comedy. And it, it seems like it comes really naturally to him. It, it um, absolutely does. And I mean, honestly, this is not a knock against his dramatic performances, but like in his more serious roles, he he definitely leans on like the stoicism, the like thousand yard staring, yes, kind of cold hard looks, um, rather than like the exuberant emotionality. I mean, I know he was in the Notebook, and that's the uh, you know. Uh, heart-wrenching uh pour your heart out movie yeah um or if you're someone like me who saw him first in lars and the real girl oh like yeah he's, he's a very he's a good dramatic oh, actor. he's a great actor all around uh, definitely has range but the fact that like the man that's in like blue valentine is fucking ken yeah and barbie just shows that range but also just like it shows just as gosling as an actor <laughs> there might be some blind spots for a lot of people in terms of like where his yeah. range is and where yeah. his his career has taken him and with the nice guys just saying if you want funny ryan gosling there is no better place than the nice guys i have seen this film at least five times i would yeah. assume and when he throws the gun through the window <laughs> or when he goes no no or yeah. when he just screams oh he has crashing his car yeah, he crashes his car, or like when he he when he gets his arm snapped. 
Or when he's talking to someone and he's worried they're going to yell at him so he, like, flinches like a meerkat. <laughs> like, every little thing, he is just... I love when they're on the elevator, yeah. having just witnessed a horrible murder, <laughs> and then he just starts shaking. Yeah, which, again, it's, like, clearly, you talked about earlier about how there's improv. I swear in the trailer there's a shot of that that they don't use in the film where he just goes into, like, a... Uh, like a vomiting, like he goes, oh yeah, and he just yeah. keeps doing that. Apparently, in that scene, there's, I think, in the yeah, the Eunuch conversation or the Munich conversation. Munich, yeah. Apparently, Russell Crowe just straight up started crying, like he broke him, like he broke him at oh, one point yeah, in that yeah. kind of like in another clip, like another clip, and it just. Oh, and their chemistry is so good. Oh, I, I Russell Crowe's. We're going on and on about Ryan Gosling as we, he deserves. Russell Crowe's also awesome in this, and this yeah. was kind of a, a, something of a turn of form for him. Uh, yeah. Because obviously Russell Crowe, huge in the 90s and 2000s as like an action and dramatic star. Um, I, I'm i not tracking exactly. I, I don't remember exactly where he went in the like late 2000s, early 2010s. Russell Crowe? Yeah. Oh, he's just, I mean, he's all over the place. Yeah. I think it's kind of where his, his popularity weaned a yeah, bit. Yeah, but like le- less of a, less of a, blockbuster leading man type figure um, yeah um, i mean by this point i think he'd already done like man with the iron fist like yeah. he had already popped up and yeah. shit where it's like russell yeah. crowe why the fuck are you here right and it's just like hi i'm russell crowe i'm bigger i'm well, sillier he's than he's almost ever doing been. like in the early 2010s he's almost doing like character actor stuff because he does uh <clears throat> he's in uh les mis doing uh yes whatever that javert um, oh my gosh, uh, a role that I genuinely think he does well in until he starts singing. Yeah, and then it's just yeah. unfortunate because he's trying his absolute best. And yeah. what else he's supposed nobody to do? told like nobody. Yeah, they, yeah. they they went for the natural approach on that. Yeah, movie. that's that's um, um, yeah, that's not on him. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know he plays Superman's dad in Man of Steel. He's I think genuinely I mean, he's good. Great in that. Yeah, uh, he does Noah. A Never seen. Of, I think Noah is the last movie he did before this. The from the same guy that directed The Whale. Yeah, good Darren old Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Um, but anyway, yeah. Then he turns up in this and does basically. I mean, he's yes, like you this said, is, playing the straight man. Yeah, but he is hilarious. This, um, no, like he's. This is I think he's the, the gay Perry of this movie. Yeah, this is the prime. I think this is prime. Like. I'm going to fuck around, but not to the point where it detriments my career era of yeah. Russell Crowe, where it's like, I mean, because you, do you know about the John Oliver thing with him? It's the funniest no. fucking shit. There was, I believe, um, during his divorce, Russell Crowe, he was selling off to pay for it as well as just to kind of get rid of a bunch of stuff during a divorce. He sold off a bunch of like old movie set stuff, like okay. stuff from the Gladiator, stuff from his big films. Yeah. And um, John Oliver's team from last week tonight, they bought that shit and they gave it to the last blockbuster <laughs> so they could have it on like a, a glass case and just be like, come to the last blockbuster. We have all these yeah. old Russell Crowe memorabilia. And to respond to that, uh, Russell Crowe gave like, I think, millions of dollars into the Steve Irwin Foundation. Oh, okay. And they <laughs> they sponsored a koala wing. That is, I believe, still called the John Oliver Chlamydia Wing, where it's like they're working on because like yeah. chlamydia is a, a huge yeah. thing with koalas, right? And they just like I think it's called the John Oliver Koala <laughs> Chlamydia like research program, yeah. and like 
I would recommend you look that up because he, John Oliver's face is just so aghast that like <laughs> Russell Crowe went this far for a bit right. that he spent millions for a just to, to put his name, name a chlamydia wing after. Him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just the funniest, and like that's what Crowe is, especially during the Nice Guys like promo yeah, he's stuff. A cheeky dude. He's a, he's a cheeky dude. I mean, even the stuff where he's not even supposed to be cheeky like the road rage film he did a few years back unhinged unhinged yeah which that, is awesome i need to still see it it's uh, trash but i was, it's I was awesome. gonna say that like he clearly knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah and this and is that's the vibe i get from every russell crowe movie like since the nice guys is, yeah oh he he knows what he's doing it's uh like ever since um i mean there was a kind of around this movie maybe even a little before there was like you know a lot of tabloid talk and headlines of like oh russell crowe's let himself go or whatever yeah but like we're in the we should be count ourselves lucky that we're in the body comfortable russell crowe era oh my god he's I, just thriving in it and nice guys i don't know uh, how unhinged. pope's exorcist also a really bad good time i still have um, to see that too i've heard good it's things just yeah i don't know the man knows what he wants and he's getting it i love hawaiian shirt russell crowe era <laughs> Yeah, they, like he the fact that like this is a man that wears a suit jacket with a Hawaiian shirt as an undershirt right. is just that is such a seventies ass look and it works so well. And again, yeah, he is absolutely the straight man, but he has some phenomenal lines that he commits. The fucking Nixon story is just <laughs> it only Nixon, gets yeah. it only gets better each time I watch the film. It's not even just because of the story itself, but it's just you know how it pairs well with Gosling's. So that's the moral of the story, right? Why didn't you just Why say didn't that? Why didn't you say that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just... Well, his, uh, Russell Crowe's a little bit of a storyteller in this because he tells the story of uh, stopping the the criminal in the diner. Yes, yes. Um, it, which is also great. The It's one of those weird things where it's like... And I think in a fascinating way, as black as an, a writer, you have two characters who have emotional cores to them where they basically both want... They're both broken people trying to figure out how to fix the broken parts about them. Yeah. And Crow is fully verbal about that part of himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, as Gosling has no idea how the fuck to do that and doesn't know how to verbalize it and ultimately just stumbles into what he needed to get better. Yeah. Well, as with Crow, it's almost like it's the thing that keeps him, it drives him to keep working on this case because right. he just wants, he just wants to be a good guy. Yeah. It's, it's, he's, it, he's not a good guy and he wants yeah. to be. They're not nice guys, right. but they want to become that. And ultimately it leads to some fun moments with both of them where they, <laughs> I mean, there's one moment where Russell Crowe tries to have a full heart to heart and Ryan Gosling in a drunken stupor just is passed out. Yeah, just and has com- never heard that story. So when it gets brought up later in the <laughs> yeah. film, he has to tell the what story. What are you talking again. about? <laughs> you didn't tell me that. Yeah, it's so good. And it also was kind of fascinating about this film because you wouldn't tell by the tra- you wouldn't tell I think by the trailer or by the poster. But there's a bit of a dynamic about halfway on that is very similar to the Gay Perry Harry Harmony situation, the trifecta of that, but right. in a a mix, a different sense in terms of it. It's not a love interest that is in that group. It is Ryan Gosling's daughter, yeah. played by Angry Rice. Holly. Holly. Which is just hilarious that Holland's Holly March. Name, Holland named his one daughter Holly. I 
I didn't even realize that. I didn't that. catch that. In, I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. I didn't times. even think about I've that. I never thought about it until I watched that it for this That is so episode. fucking funny. I also forget that uh, Holland's dead wife is British, and I always forget until he says, like... <laughs> he has, he says it in some, one line. And yeah, like it's and just, it's just, I think like... It's voiceover. Yeah, and it doesn't, he does, it doesn't clarify how he ever met her. No. <laughs> which is funny she's as just, fuck. She's British. Yeah. No, but it was... She is, again, at this point, most people would probably know her in the... Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Yeah, she's Betty Brant. You might also know her because she got a little bit popular recently yeah. because she is the Lindsay Lohan part in the Mean Girls musical. Um, the film yes, musical. Yes, yes. I, I feel like as soon as I said that, I would hope most people would make the connection. <laughs> but yes, in the film adaptation of the Mean Girls musical, yes. she is the Lindsay Lohan part. And there's been, you know, TikTok and just like talking about that film and whatnot. I've seen her a lot more and... And I, it, it, it is a bit of a bummer that's talking about her and the sense of like maybe a miscast or just kind of didn't work. Because in all honesty, like I think she's a really good actress, and yeah. she fucking, she's like fifteen, sixteen in this film. Yeah, she's young, and she um, holds her own with with Ryan Gosling and absolutely. Russell Crowe. And I think they, and I love the dynamic that it's just like, is it's a dynamic that people you have seen in the past where you have. A, a parent that is in, not a bad parent not because they're mean but because they're just inadequate they're inept and, yeah, and they, they're don't, inept. they don't know how to do it and I mean the fact that she drives his car I think more times than he does in the <laughs> she film drives him she's like yeah. chauffeurs him around yes illegally and it shows how he's fucking drunk. it's the most 70s thing about this yeah. film I think is a 13 year old driving her father home yeah but uh not only that it's the fact that like her relationship with Russell Crowe is almost like very uncle uncle coded yeah where it's just like yeah. it's almost like she has a connection to him where it's just like he seems grounded and normal and seems like she wants to look up to him you're yeah, right until to, to her she i mean when she first meets him she thinks like oh you must be like you're like a good normal person, person. You're, yeah you're like what i wish my dad was <laughs> and then you know as she's tags along on this investigation and kind of sees more sides of him she like you know that that kind of um romanticized vision of him goes away but it like only drives her to kind of want him to be that like yes yes i I want you to be the best version of you the person that i think you can be and and to be honest while i do think i could see some people just like rolling their eyes in terms of their relationship in places i love it yeah i do too i I genuinely think it adds a lot i think it's while it's very like straightforward in a lot of places especially towards the finale when there's a bit of a test in that relationship i think it's very it makes sense. Earned, too. It's earned, and I think it, it makes sense the fact that like you have two gray area characters where you have Russell Crowe being muscle, who is not afraid to beat the fuck out of someone if given money, and you have Ryan Gosling's character who is willing to take money from old people <laughs> if it means you know an, an easy an easy paycheck sometimes. Which again, it's also kind of it's also implied too that it's like a lot of people who are willing to throw out money for this are just inept themselves. Yeah, and so it kind of gives him a little bit, bit of a shitty, shitty grin. Because mm-hmm. again, the first thing we see is like one of the first cases we see him take is like an old a woman saying she hasn't seen her husband since the funeral. Yeah, and that's just again, you, you could take a shot after every time you get a double take from Gosling, but you'd be dead. Yeah, like well, in thirty those, in thirty minutes. Double take, double takes. I the thing I love. One of the things I love most about Holland March is he's such a clearly defined character that like. Throughout the movie, so many of his decisions technically happen off screen. They happen in a cut. 
Yeah. And like all you see is his reaction to some new information and then it cuts to the next scene and you just know what he's done. Like you know he yes. made the fucking mm-hmm. stupid or selfish choice. It's like god damn it, Holly. Yes, it's so bastard. it's so good. It's so well done and he yeah, again, I think it's Gosling's best character. And yeah. well, and again with Crow being just a phenomenal actor in general and having so many phenomenal films under his belts. I don't I can't say that about uh Jackson Healy. Right. What a fucking phenomenal name. But I will say, I think it, it's definitely, in my personal opinion, it's up there. It's one of my favorite performances. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it's... I, I think I've probably seen a greater percentage of Ryan Gosling's roles, like total roles, than I have yeah. of Russell Crowe's. Uh, yeah, but I agree, too. I definitely still put Jackson Healy pretty high up there for Crowe. And, and then again, it's, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, it's also fascinating to think about, like, you know, if a year or two back we did... The Quick and the Dead for mm-hmm. Sam Raimi's dramas, yeah. which is yeah. one of the, which was a film where uh, Sharon Stone had to fight to get Russell Crowe and Leonardo DiCaprio in the film because the producers, the studio didn't want right. basically uh, a child actor and a no name from Australia to be in a film. Yeah, and then you cut to like us talking about this now, and it's like, it's just Russell Crowe. He just he just has it <laughs> in the pocket, and with films like this, it's hard not to be like, damn, I can't. I want to see you in so much more shit. Yeah. And with both these men. And with Angry Rice and the cast itself. And, I mean, there's There's even... so many good, like, bit characters in this. Such good character actors. one-scene characters or two-scene characters. Fucking Keith David being in this film. Keith David's great. He kills it. The fact that he is in scenes with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, and he himself holds his own. Mm -hmm. He works incredibly well and is very fun. And, yeah, yeah, the bit characters... There's one bit character who has no line, um, but is a cameo from a Shane Black actor from the past who is in one scene. Oh. Uh, we won't spoil who, but he is uh, he he's doesn't move and is clearly playing a corpse. <laughs> yeah. But the act once you like once you watch the film and you know what we're talking about, and you're like, who the fuck is that? Once you look it up, you'll be yeah. like, holy fuck! It's a fun, yeah. fun little surprise. And also. And, uh, Hannibal Burris has a voice role in yeah. this. And also, Val Kilmer, unfortunately not being able to be a part of the Nice Guys, because right. I don't think they really had a part for him, as well as going through uh, cancer, as well as yeah. kind of, you yeah. know, uh, f- getting better over the years and kind of, you know, slowly getting there. Um, We do have Val Kilmer's son, Jack Kilmer, right. playing everyone's favorite Chet. <laughs> Chet the projectionalist. Yeah, fucking Chet. Just uh, it's um, so good. Uh, and well, and then there's the there's the kid on the bike with the big yeah, dick. The big dick. You yeah. don't see his big. Got dick. a big he dick. Just, he just really. I mean, again, it's a you guys scene. Want to see my dick? It's a scene that nobody wants to see your dick, dude. <laughs> it's that scene is funny because there is a long pause between that information and any adult responding to the information, <laughs> yeah. and the one who responds is Holland, yeah. and it's just like. Okay, so thanks. Thanks, kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's, it's so good. It, and again, like you said earlier in the podcast, and we kind of been going through it. Like there are elements to this that you're like, ah, I mean, the house didn't blow up like in Lethal Weapon, but it is a burnt down house because it basically blew up in some way, shape, or form. Or there's <laughs> yeah. another dead woman that kind of springs a bit of a more of a conspiracy that yeah, ties yeah. in it digs deep it involves the family the family mm-hmm. gets involved and you know, have to figure out how to work together and how to slowly become more of a team and yeah it's you 
it's it's a fun through line to go through these three films in the span of 30 years almost yeah. because it's like in a lot of ways not a lot has changed thematically but the same way a lot has matured yeah in a well, lot of there's ways a cohesion to it where he's yeah. able to bridge you know you you have the kind of absurdist action of lethal weapon and the biting cynicism of um kiss kiss bang bang yeah. and a bunch of his other movies and it's all kind of melded into this new accessible surprisingly accessible package in yeah. the nice guys and it's and, and again it's it's fascinating to say that like this is a film that gets made because robert downey jr brings on shane black once favreau doesn't want to do iron man 3 yeah and iron man 3 is a gigantic fucking hit uh regardless of what people say about the quality of the film and the story and whatnot it's a great movie it's a it's a phenom- it's my favorite iron man film. <laughs> i feel like we've already said that but we might as well say it again but ultimately it makes a shit ton of money and is able for shane to basically do something he wants to do as a passion project yeah and we get this yeah and well, and, and even with the success of iron man 3 although it was probably i mean not probably definitely a pivotal stepping stone to this movie even being considered it still almost didn't happen until no. ryan gosling saw the script and was like i want to do it oh and then russell crowe yeah. said ryan's doing it i want to do it i mean it makes sense it honestly makes sense because yeah this is a film that again if it's going to be lower it's going to be lower budget yeah what really is going to sell this film is going to be actors being involved and like most times when you hear something like that casting wise you'd be like ah man i mean are they really gonna be great for this kind of roles and thank fuck they wanted to do this because yeah. it just shows the passion the passion just oozes from both characters when it comes to the improv the emotional moments yeah i mean the comedic moments that are scripted as well as the little in-between moments that are just uh gosh from the yoo-hoo to just the way they they're drunk <laughs> they and oh my gosh it is it is such a phenomenal film that it just it hasn't gotten any better when I watch it because it was already perfect the first time I watched it. Like, <laughs> um, the first time I watched this was a film where I was, like, telling everybody, like, guys, like, I know it's not doing well, but you got to just go, go fucking see this. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It's so good. And just how yeah. everyone, the people who gave it a chance were just like holy fuck, you're right, man. Like, this is the, e- <laughs> like, this, like, this is the easiest 10 out of 10 I could have thrown that year when that came out. Yeah. And there was a lot of great films in 2016, but that film yeah. just stands out incredibly well and unfortunately the audiences did not generally agree. Yeah. It was pretty pretty major flaw. Because the fact of the matter is is that a rated R comedy, whether it is it whether it's a Judd Apatow film or not, <laughs> I think is at a certain point has become uh a toxic market in terms well, of and, financial. Yeah. yeah. And role. on top of that, like on top of the R rating comedy, yeah. you're adding the layer of it's a period piece. Yes. Um, it's not like an in your face, vulgar slapstick studio comedy. It's, no, you know, it's, it's an homage to old, uh, mm. you know, detective shows and yeah. stuff. It's I think like, what, I think there's, what, there's a lot of layers yeah. to it that it's like, yeah, you're, you're eliminating a lot of audience mm. here. And I think, I think Andy's saying that if Todd Phillips had directed the nice guys, he would have made money. That's true. And they would have made nice guys too. <sighs> Fully. I do. God. I I said that as a joke, pretending that, I mean, that I think that would have been true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unfortunately it would have been a worse movie, Yeah, but it would have done well. Made more money. Uh, um, but yeah, but yeah not... speaking of nice guys too, 
Still haven't gotten one. Probably never will because this film flopped. But we should have seven of them yeah. or more. Honest to God, like I was thinking about it last Ryan night. Ryan Gosling wants to do it. Russell Crowe wants to do it. Yeah. And Shane Black wants to do it. So I mean, pony it, up the money. And also, Angry Rice is still in Yo, the she, lexicon. Yeah, She's yeah. in the fucking Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Yeah, absolutely. And she was fun in those movies in the small role. I mean, she's got a bigger role in Far From Home. Yeah. And it's funny in that. Oh, I sneeze. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, it went away. But, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking last night, I was like, yeah, if you just make a period piece that is literally like it has been seven to eight years since the last film. Yeah, set it in the 80s. They're out done. of their element. Are you kidding like, me? The 80s have not gone out of style yet. No. Even when we've been saying that. Even the 80s when, might be the most perennial decade, like of the, the nostalgia, the the retro decades. Yeah, because I'll be like honest. People are always into the 80s. Yeah, it's like any time I see something that is perennial in the 80s, I am immediately sick of it for five seconds. And then I go, <laughs> yeah. well, if it works, I'll but give also, it a shot. But also, it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. And yeah, if, if the cast want to do it, if Shane wants to do it, in all honesty, gosh, I just, I want Shane to make another film. Like genuinely, yeah. like af- after he did the film that will not be named, we will talk about that in the future. <laughs> like, especially since the film that will not be named has had, you know, that franchise that he worked on has now got another film in development. Mm-hmm. It is almost, I think, at this point, nearly shaken off what Black's uh, installment has done to that series. Yeah. And honestly, not even on him. It was more of just the studio on top of everything else. Yeah. But ultimately, oh just I, what I, I've just I was as we were talking about nice guys, too. I was kind of looking into that a little bit. <laughs> I guess Russell Crowe said that his and uh, Ryan Gosling's idea for the sequel was to call it nice guys, the Mexican detectives and the premises. They have to somehow pass as Mexican detectives because <laughs> their newspaper ad makes them look Mexican. <laughs> Which is the end, like, that's the... Yeah, like, doesn't he say, yeah, sorry, because he looks, because doesn't he say that he, uh, Ryan says he looks Puerto Rican in his Yeah, and you look Filipino. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> he yeah. looks Filipino. That's a horrible idea for a sequel. <laughs> the but Nice Guys, Mexican, Mexican detectives, detectives. With just two white I honestly, pre- I honestly prefer The Nice Guys full of two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just something stupid at the end of it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, because I was honestly just thinking about, like, God... If Shane at this point, uh, I know it's been so long since we talked about a comic book film, but like, if if tomorrow they said, listen, the you know the the Thunderbolts, it's getting pushed back again. But guess what? <laughs> Shane Black's directing and rewriting the like script. Oh, couldn't sure. couldn't give a fuck about anyone that dropped out of the film, yeah, or just, yeah. I would be down. Because yeah. again, the man just like he he just has and he has an edge to him and has such. Well, he uh, was also able to keep a that voice. edge in Iron Man yeah. 3. Yeah, he has, a, I mean, gosh, the, the you know, people people die, no, no need to be a pussy about it line. It's still <laughs> it's one of the best Shane Black lines Dad's in any of his leave. Home. No need to be a pussy yes, about it. Yes, yeah. great, great line. Uh, Shane Black just has such a specific voice that I feel like in a day and age where, like, Guy Ritchie is having a, a resurgence again, yeah. and Matthew Vaughn is still going. And I know they're more; those are more like you want British crime dramas. Yeah, I feel like if we're why not shame, but yeah, if we're in a point where like we're fine with making R-rated, you know, action comedies to a degree again, let this man cook. Yeah, because well, the, and I feel like you know over the last few years, that R-rated barrier to entry has kind of dissolved a little bit 
Um, yeah, and I, a lot of it might have been Deadpool too. Yeah, Deadpool was huge in that, and then Joker, but Joker. Uh, yeah, the Joker, baby. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I do think in terms of the stigma about R-rated films don't make money mm-hmm. is has now been kind of pushed to the point where it's like the fact that Disney is doing the third Deadpool film and it's fully rated R, and they've already made a joke about it being rated yeah. R. And it, I mean, yeah, at this point, it's just I think it's now. Are you really are you willing to go full tilt and push the film? Yeah. Because yeah. I get it. There have been films in the past in the last few years. I mean, there's even been buddy comedy films that have come out in the last five years that you think would be, like, solid, like, throw in the pocket. Like, yeah, easy, easy shot, but ultimately just kind of, like, fall flat. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a Stuber. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I that's literally, Stuber. like, a, it's a it's literally about Dave Bautista and right. Kumail Nanjani and in that kind of... I'm a I'm a cop and you're an Uber driver and let's go solve crimes together type thing. Yeah. Which again is like you love Batista, you love Kumail. No, it it just doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't work. I mean, or even something like before that with like fucking Central Intelligence, even though that uh, film didn't real do do well critically. Right. I mean, that was the film where like before The Rock became the heel for the WWE again. Yeah. Ultimately, showed that like. You can do this just with certain parameters, and I feel like it could just be at a certain point that Shane Black sees and understands those parameters and just doesn't want to do it like that. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, again, he does have a film in development yeah. with Mark Wahlberg, Lakeith Stanfield, and Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. And uh, if Tony Shalhoub is the goofy one of those three, um, I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> but I will also love it. Yeah, I guess it's but, a yet another adaptation of the the Parker character who has gotten multiple which totally you, unrelated film adaptations, including the Jason Statham movie Parker. Parker. And it's I can't believe and the Mel Gibson movie Payback. Again, I didn't even know there was a series. I guess it was it's very uh, Reacher esque. I assume seems like it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, that is the Shane Black's buddy comedy sampler. It is worth watching all three of these films, but if you have to watch only one of these films, highly recommend The Nice Guys. As we are recording this, it is currently on Netflix, but yeah. actually has been re- done really well for itself on streaming the last couple of years. Oh, I remember yeah. last year it went; it was like trending at one point. Oh yeah, it's so, make I, Nice Guys too is what we're saying. Yeah, I want. I I don't know if I need to be Mexican detectives, but I will. <laughs> I would love a Nice Guys too. Because at least with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I've already accepted that I'll never get a sequel, and that's yeah. fine. That's a that's a great film. That in an alternate world where it got It'd be sequels, really hard to bring Val Kilmer back for that role. No, yes, no, absolutely. But I mean, like yeah. in terms of like in the two thousands when that was a oh, possibility. Yeah, yeah, like it would have been cool to get sequels, but thankfully with that film, that film works incredibly on its own. And even if you don't watch any of the Lethal Weapon sequels, which I do recommend. Lethal Weapon works incredibly well on its own. Yeah, it does. All three of these films are great. You know, just go right into it. And while it does deal with dark subject matter, it is funny, well acted across the board, and just shows how damn good of a director and writer Shane Black is. Yeah. So, yeah, that is our buddy cop sampler. And as we move into the next month, we are thinking of going to something a little bit more sci-fi, mm-hmm. a little bit something a little bit more bombastic, Maybe even something a little more contemplative. Cerebral even. A little mix of sci-fi here that you wouldn't expect from this director. But this director has three 
big sci-fi properties that he has adapted in the last few years. One is based off a short story, but has become a big classic film in its own right, modern classic. Mm-hmm. And so what we are talking about is Denis Villeneuve's sci-fi adaptations. In our next trilogy, we're going to be discussing 2016's Arrival, 2017's Blade Runner 2049, and then as a joint effort in honor of Dune Part 2, Electric Boogaloo, we are <laughs> going to be talking about Dune as a whole, discussing both yeah. Part 1 and Part 2, and discussing the how Denis was able to adapt the unadaptable as well as take a short story in Arrival and turn it into an Oscar-winning film. Yeah. As well as talk about the fact that Denis takes a classic Ridley Scott film that was a box office flop in the (laughs) 80s that became a cult classic, that became a huge film classic by the point of this Massively influential piece of sci-fi. Massively influential cyberpunk sci-fi vibes and talk about how he's able to try and channel all that into his take on a Blade Runner sequel. Into his own flop. Uh, <laughs> we will talk about that when we get to it. Yeah. But tune in on March 9th when we discuss Denis Villeneuve's sci-fi adaptations. And as always, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.